perfectionism, the fear hidden under somewhat a fancy title, fear of failure, fear of being judged by others, fear of not being good enough, resulting in anxiety, frustration, burnout and depression. From OCD to eating disorders and social anxiety, perfectionism lies at the core of many psychological issues. Another problem with pursuing perfection is that you'll never be happy with what you have achieved because you dismiss any achievements that you've worked hard for. Welcome to I'm a Perfectionist, Get Me Out of Here. I'm Eileen Webb and in the past nine years I've helped countless amount of people overcome anxiety and distress, gain confidence and feel more empowered to live happier lives. In this series, I will be interviewing the suffering as well as the recovering perfectionists to gain insight to the problems that the rigid perfectionist thinking can cause and discuss the tools and techniques that would help overcome perfectionism and take control of your life. Don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so we can reach more people to help. My guest this week is Michelle White Green, who's an award-winning author of biography and historical fiction for children and young adults. She's also the grand prize winner of the Writer Magazine's Essay Contest. Hello, Michelle. Hello and welcome to I'm a Perfectionist. Get me out of here. Thank you so much. Glad yes. to be here. It's it's such a pleasure to have you here. And uh, thank you for agreeing to share your story with us right. so, so, shall, so shall we start by how perfectionism came into your life how far back do you remember and how it has affected you my father was a um, he was a Tuskegee airman he served in three conflicts he was a pilot navigator and um, bombardier he left home with uh, from the coal mining towns with $3 in his pocket, and he forged his way all the way down there to become a military officer, uh, which is incredible. Uh, yeah. Because he came from, from poverty, and he went down there, and, well, I don't know if you know of the saga of the Tuskegee Airmen, but they never lost a plane when they were, they were um, you know, they were hot shots. They were badasses. And so I was born in Chicago. And um, from the very beginning, I had an older sister and later on a younger sister. But from the very beginning, he held us to the highest standards, especially being a Black military officer at that time. Because mm. there weren't any of us uh, at that point. We, we just didn't get the respect. Um, and so... The black pilots at that time, um, you know, people didn't think that they had the the aptitude to fly. And so when they went down there, most of them are college students. Uh, some of them had been aviators, like, you know, crop dusters and, and things like that. And so the all the ones that trained them, of course, were white officers. And so they put every kind of roadblock in front of them. And yet when they had to take these uh, pilots tests over and over and over, and each time the black cadets got 100% on the test. 
So they called themselves the 100 percenters. And that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the code that we've been lived by. Every do everything 100 percent. Right. Of course, that's not possible. But, um, you know, in, in theory, we weren't allowed to do anything less than try our best. So that's, you know, that's how it started. And it, it's, you know, it, sometimes it's a burden, but I try to hold to those higher, higher standards, even though that's not possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how, how has, how has it affected your childhood? What do you remember from your childhood as far as hundred percenters concerned? Okay. Well, I'll give you an example. <laughs> um, of course, racism was rampant. I was born in the in 1954, and that's when all of the, you know, all of the civil rights stuff began. And black people at that time did everything they could to show a good example and went to church they were dressed to the to the nines um for example my mother never let us go out without white gloves petticoats patent leather shoes wow. hats. <laughs> yeah it was i mean and then we traveled all around the world of course and we had this big american car and wherever we went, you know, people were honking and waving because they had never seen anybody like, like us. And so once again, we always, you know, we went all, we went all around the world. We learned to speak different languages. And um, I mean, it, it was amazing. We were even there to see one of the popes. Uh, we we're in wow. St. Peter's Square and saw the amazing. white smoke. Yeah, so I mean, we've had incredible adventures. Yeah. Uh, probably the worst part came a little later. After five years in Germany, we went to Biloxi, Mississippi, which was horrible. And uh, we, had to, we had to go to school off base to Catholic schools. And my sister and I were the only, at that time we were Negroes or colored people. And, you know, the base commander had to say, if you touch one hair on their heads, the entire wrath of the air force will come down upon you. <laughs> so mm -hmm. once again, yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it was kind of scary. Um, but, you know, dad kept saying, just do your best and show them that you're not you know, you're not anything less than they are. Uh, my older sister went to secretarial school. They made her sit out in the hallway. They didn't even want her in their classroom. And so she tried as hard as she could. And sure enough, she got the best grades at her school. And that's, I mean, that was what's expected of us. So what you're saying is that you had to, you and your sister had to try and even, um, even the pilots, to pass the tests they had to go extra miles maybe even right. better than their best to... exactly i mean just to be recognized for who they were hmm. and, and here's, here's something funny i i have a, a master's of writing from johns hopkins and i'm pursuing an advanced degree in teaching writing and all through the years my father said <laughs> it's kind of a joke if you get an a if you get A's on your report card, I'll give you a dollar for every A you get. And it wasn't the fact that it was a dollar. It was, you know, it was recognition that we had done well. So I went all through Johns Hopkins. My master's got one B 
and I was crushed because I wanted straight A's. Mm-hmm. It's John Hopkins. So I went to him and he gave me like, you know, $8. So after he passed, I, I kept getting A's in other subjects. I went to my mom. I said, okay, where's my dollar? She said, that was a deal you had with your father. Go get it from him. <laughs> But that's interesting, isn't it? You, you said to me that you, you were devastated when you got a B because you wanted all exactly. straight A's. So there's also conditioning there, isn't there? There you is. There get is. straight A's and you get rewarded and you get a B, even though it's fine there's nothing wrong with a B but I Um, you know I've always been used to being on the honor roll I mean that's the other thing I was always on the honor roll took mm. honors courses all through high school uh got I was a distinguished scholar um and I mean all the way up through through college I I there were only two people at that at that point that that got a uh the, the top award for excellence and I was one of the two so I mean that's how we were we were just taught to push all the time yeah so pushed kept pushing for more than more than what you normally would have perhaps is that what you're saying right in more than my peers Um, yeah it's just it's not possible to be perfect but he sure made well both my mother and father made sure that we were giving our very best Mm. and when it came time for me to to um choose my college I wanted to go to a teacher's college because I at that point I wanted to be a teacher he said no that's not good enough for you I want you to go I want you to aspire to be more than a teacher and that's when he said you know I want you to go to the Air Force Academy and and be an astronaut I said mom okay I'm not even good in math it's not even the the sky it's the space that's the limit I know but even now when I see all the accomplishments of black women uh you know from the the ice skaters to the name the women that are doing so much I I kind of think could have been that I could have done that (laughs) but I mean that that wasn't me and I'm I'm Mm -hmm. um I'm content being the best writer that I know and I think I told you that I just won an award from writer magazine yes congratulations that's amazing I'm getting affirmation I've made the right choice (laughs) yes I I could be an astronaut I can write about black astronauts yeah yeah, exactly. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your book? Well, I have several books. The mm-hmm. um, the one that I'm working on is called Oscar Invincible. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, you see in the title that I, I write, write stories about excellent, I write historical fiction and, and biography for children and young adults, but everybody that I write about is an exceptional person a role model, something to inspire others, especially young people. So the one that I'm working on, it's, it's nearly done. It's called Oscar Invincible, the, the story of film pioneer Oscar Michaud. It is an incredible story. It took me three years going back and forth to South Dakota to research it. 
he uh-huh. uh, was a black homesteader. He had worked on the, uh, the trains. He was a Pullman porter. And he found out from all of his, you know, the people that were riding up and down the train that they were getting ready to open Indian lands for homesteaders. And so he gathered up all of his money. He bought a homestead plot in South Dakota. He didn't know anything about farming, but he figured he could buy the land and develop it. Uh, it was a horrible place. He lived in a Saudi that he built, snakes dropping down from the ceiling. <laughs> he didn't know how. But while he was in there, he started writing books. He wrote his biography. And uh, when the film industry picked up, uh, two people came and said, we would like to buy the rights to your book and turn it into a movie. He said, no, why should I give you you know, the copyright to my book? I'm going to make the film. And so the next thing you know, he went to Sioux Falls, <laughs> bought the equipment, and taught himself to be a filmmaker. Once again, excellence. <laughs> so before the end of it all, he had written seven novels, mm-hmm. made 40, over 50 films at a mm-hmm. time when Black people just didn't do that. <laughs> so, you know, that's the kind of stories that I write. The so, one so, you, that, so you're mm-hmm. looking I- into extraordinary Black people and yes. their stories and writing, writing about them. Yes. Yeah, I think bringing them today, to light. They, they need to, first of all, they need to get themselves together. And, you know, this is Black History Month here. And unfortunately with all of the political climate, um, you know, the racism that's going on, critical race theory, a lot of uh, a lot of black authors, their books are being banned. A lot of other books are being banned. So I, I feel I feel the need for black authors, peop, uh, authors of color, especially all authors to put their work out there regardless. And, and um, you know, give children and their parents choices if they have to buy the books or read the books it doesn't matter now the book that i wrote before was incredible it's called a A strong right arm the story of mamie peanut johnson and it's another story that i stumbled on i live near i live in maryland upper marlboro maryland and i was driving i was out on errands and i saw the opening of a negro leagues baseball shop uh, my son loved to play baseball. He was young, wasn't very good at it, but I thought I would go in there and find something to, to encourage him. And uh, I went in there browsing mm. through the artifacts and I saw a t-shirt with a black woman throwing a ball. So I bought it. I said, you know, a writer writes always. I saw, I saw this t-shirt. I said, I'm going to have to find out who this person is. So I took it to the, uh, to the counter to buy it. He said, would you like an autograph? I said, of course. She said, Mamie is at the back of the store. I said, oh my goodness. I went back there and yeah, I'm kind of, I'm not shy. So I said, you know, would you sign your autograph? And I said, has anybody written your story? And she said, I have been waiting for someone to write my story of the three women who ever played in the Negro Leagues. I'm the only person left. So right away, uh, I drew up a contract. Once again, it took a long time. I had to learn about baseball. I went to different events with her. I, I t- tried out with my son's little league team. Amazing. <laughs> it, it, 
and this is really funny because I, I had to learn to talk to to uh, do trash talk. I went to a lot of baseball games. Really? And, uh, I actually have an authentic jersey that belongs to her. And so this is the funny part. You talk about humor and perfectionism. I mean, I yep. learned everything there was about baseball. So <laughs> my father was alive and he used to go to my son, Evan, his games, and he would, he would be merciless with the little kids. I said, dad, they're only eight, nine years old. And he would just, uh, once again, being perfect. You should have thrown the ball to the left. What is wrong yeah. with you? <laughs> yes, anyway, of course. All the, so, so, so your dad. Not... They're going to kick you out. Of the, they're going to kick you out. So on the last day of, um, that last time last day of the uh the season yeah and i'm working with the coaches and they said okay now all of the parents are going to play the the kids team but the thing is they have to throw and they had to throw and bat with their their opposite arm you know if you were oh if you okay yeah use left hand this is green you could bat normal <laughs> it was so bad <laughs> Evan was so embarrassed but <laughs> I mean I was just there for research I wasn't there to become a professional exactly yeah, exactly. Evan went on to play. He went on to play baseball. In fact, he wanted to go to the major leagues. He uh, played baseball through junior high. He played all the way through high school, and he could play every position. Once again, a perfectionist. But the mm. problem is, he or his rotator rotator cuff. So he had to change. I mean, it was for the best. He changed majors and he's a professional musician now with his own studio. Beautiful. Uh, music producer. He went to Berkeley College of Music, the best, you know, music college in, in, in the world. He got a double major. So once again, he took what his disappointment and turned it into perfection. That's the way I've raised my kids is not so, to stress yeah. them out. Uh, yeah, but uh, again, they know dad's high standards and they do in everything they do. I mean, they know that that's what expected, even when they fail. Hmm. So so what is perfection for you? How would you how would you describe perfectionism? I thought a lot about this. I mean, I think it is something that we all strive for. But at the, it, at the end of the day, it's just not possible I think you can set a goal, but you have to define it in small steps and not, it's like the first part of the year with new year's resolutions. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to lose a thousand pounds. And we know that doesn't work. So you have to divide what you think is perfection into small pieces. Hmm. Uh, for example, my new year's resolution was to do one small act of gratitude every single day find something to be grateful for and i mean that's easy to do and so if, if i can complete that task then i've been perfect for that day no matter what else goes on uh it i just don't think it's it's possible to be perfect but you can be perfect in small ways and just don't sweat the rest <laughs> yes that's right so um so really um going for progression Exactly. Yeah, getting the best out of yourself, best out of your mm -hmm. life. 
rather than going for everything to be flawless um, and constant uh, high standards that are impossible to reach or you reach it sometimes occasionally Mm -hmm. and that feels good but only for a little while and then and then the level is is just got higher isn't it because now you've reached that and the level has gone there's another challenge yeah very next month yeah what's important to celebrate every single accomplishment um it's a small thing like when i've won the award i mean i'm going to get a i'm going to get money I'm not going to blow the Congratulations. It's amazing. <laughs> that recognition right. is amazing, isn't it? I know, it? I, mean, I know. Let alone the money it's, and so on, but just your hard work being recognized is wonderful. It is. It did it so is. much good for my spirit. It did. And, and just the affirmation from other authors and writers. Um, and it just feels good inside. I, I feel like I'm accomplishing what I was set out to do. Mm. And... Uh, I had a fifth grade teacher. We were in Germany. She was my fourth and fifth grade teacher. And I've always loved writing. And um, she read to us every day from the Little House on the Prairie series. And so once again, I, re- I uh, came home with the best report cards. And one time, her name was Miss Rowell. She wrote on the, on the report card, Michelle is destined to be a writer. Mm. And she predicted it and my mom showed me the report card I didn't even know the comment was on there and so I mean I I have accomplished that goal and if no matter else what happens in my life I can say that is a fulfillment it's a fulfillment of a dream Absolutely. I had five yeah I had five you, know, when you do your five-year plan or when you're thinking about what are the five things you want to accomplish before you die I've done everything that was in my I don't want to say bucket list, but I, I wanted to own property. I own my own house. I wanted to get married. I did that. I wanted to have children. They're exceptional children. And I wanted to be happy in my profession. So whatever happens, I've, I've achieved those goals. Mm. And that is, that's per- personal perfection. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so how would you say in, in terms of all your, because you, you know, you said to me that uh, your dad would would constantly expect perfection um, from his children. So those were the standards that were put upon you, and there sometimes it ended up with, and he even conditioned at some points with bribery. <laughs> you know, you get an A, you get a dollar, and. <laughs> So, uh, so, and you said that uh, that was also what you expected from your children, that they knew what was expected of them. So mm-hmm. how, um, I guess that, you know, besides the fact that you were devastated when you got a B, did, the, did those expectations of your dad from you and of your you of yourself mm-hmm. and you of your children did they have any negative effects in your emotions in your life yes um you know once again 
I mean, they, they credit me now. My other son is a uh, independent filmmaker. In fact, he's helping me with the family of creators. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. my, my husband yeah. is a graphic artist. So we, all of us yeah. turn out collaborators, uh, and that's great. Um, Sorry, but I think I just I just can't help saying then you write the story uh, and one of your sons write the music. The other one does the graphics. That's and exactly the third one does the film. Yes. My, so, my son, Ryan, they were living in California at the time. Um, and Evan made a music video. And so he wrote the music. Mm -hmm. The person who is his wife now, she was a dancer in it. Brian was the art director and the Ooh. photographer. And the song is amazing. It's called No Ceiling, which once again, no ceiling means there is no limit. It, it's called, yeah. there's no limit to what you can do. There is no ceiling. So it comes out through his music. And he got married about two years ago. This is a song he composed for his fiance and sang at his wedding their wedding he plays i mean this is the baseball player he plays just about every instrument known to man uh he travels he's on his fourth album now um and when he sang it to his bride at the wedding and was dancing with her i mean the tears just fell everybody could feel the emotion in that and it's one of my favorite songs in him because it, it expresses the feeling that if you not that you don't have to apply yourself, but just to remember that you have, you can rise as, as far as you want to, and you shouldn't be no limits. <laughs> you know? No, the only, fail, limit, fail. the only limit we have is the limit we put in ourselves in our minds. Mm -hmm. And that's because there is no physical limit to what we can do. Uh, and 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 the fears can get in the way, can't they? The fear exactly. of failure, the fear of success, even, uh, or the fear sure. of of being judged, are are you know the negative beliefs are are the only way things that get in our way of of where what we want to do, where we want to go with space being the limit right? <laughs> according to and your dad so, so, sorry so um, I diverted you uh, with the filmmaking and so on and um, we were just if I may take you back to uh, the it had any negative effects on you and uh, your relationship with your parents or with your children and with yourself what would yes. you what would you say What's your take on My that? My father came back uh, from Vietnam. He was a changed person, obviously. He was special ops. And this is the team that the government didn't even really want to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that went into the bush and did the, the dastardly things like kill counts. Um, they were very clandestine. They were four-man four men team. And my dad at that point uh, has been taken off flying status by the way he broke the sound barrier right after chuck yeager did whoa and so not being a pilot he was a, now he flew jets and was a uh, a pilot instructor uh -huh. and i mean once again only a few people he was only the second person who did it 
that broke the sound barrier. You know, this was way before we have all of these, you know, space force and all of this stuff. Um, but when he came back yeah. from Vietnam, uh, he came back a changed man. He had contracted Agent Orange and severe PD, PTSD, and that mm. affected all of us. But it affected me the most because I was 16. By that time, my older sister, she had, uh, you know, moved out of the family. She had gone on her separate ways. My sister was younger, but she, I don't think she really got it. You know, I was 16 and because of my sensitivity as a, as a writer, um, it, 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 it was such a negative time. My father would lash out at the least little thing. He was violent towards us. He was violent to other people that he met. For example, if he was driving on the road at a stoplight and mm. the car behind him, you know how they blow, meaning go on through the light. My dad would put the car in gear, come around to the person, ask him to roll down the window and punch him out. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff he did. And so, of course, that negative, I mean, this is my dad, the, the high standards guy, and he just kind of pushed that to the wayside and he was acting out. Well, I have to tell you, it was so stressful. That is the first time I attempted suicide. So that's the other side of perfection kind of losing, um, you know, going so far down the rabbit hole that you think that you may never come back. Hmm. Um, but of course, eventually I did. And I have to say, it wasn't until he had grandchildren that he kind of softened up. Yeah. Yeah, so his PTSD was never treated, I assume. And well, back then, it's different now in the middle, in the... Uh, in the armed forces, they have, they recognize mm. what PTSD is. Um, some people have been able to get mental health. Uh, you know, they have people that are aware of racism, mental health, um, yeah. the whole gender issue and, um, and all of that, but they didn't have the support then, especially for black officers. It was just, and you know, when I would ask dad, what was it like? He would just say, we did what we had to do and he didn't talk about it. Now, the story that I wrote for the writer magazine, the, the one which I wrote is called Dog Tags. And it's about my, I found my father's dog tags in looking through my dresser, my mom's dresser door. Mm -hmm. I'm always looking to unearth a story. I'm actually writing another novel about him called The Devil's Bargain. And it's about the whole Vietnam era. Um, so his last, his last time going back to his hometown in Kentucky, uh, he put me behind the wheel of his uh, Porsche and had me to drive down there. And during the whole time, he kind of unburdened himself about what was going on in Vietnam. So when I wrote Dog Tags, it was about, it was about that trip, but kind of connecting the way he was in the past with what he had gone through and... Um, I think that's why the story succeeded so much because it was, first of all, it was cathartic for me, but it was so detailed, the minutia, all those memories came back just in finding the dog tags. And I remember him putting his medals on, shining his shoes, carving the cleft of his chin, putting on the old spice, uh, fixing his clusters and kind of, once again, perfection. Every time he went out, Shoes were shined, mm. you know, epaulets, all of that. And I used to watch him 
And I was so proud because I knew this was perfection. And so, I mean, as even growing up with him, that was the best part of my day, just watching him get ready mm. and, feel, and feeling so proud. And um, everything had to be perfect for, perfect for that extra mile that he needed to go. Um, please correct me if I'm wrong and whether I understand you correctly, that that because especially uh, in the Air Force, they were uh, because yes. of being black, they needed to yes. absolutely be um, to much higher standards than if it was a mm -hmm. white officer, um, because because they just wanted to make sure that they had no flaws. Uh, exactly. They had they had something to prove. Yeah, uh, with their self-worth as yeah. well, that they were worthy yes. of being yes. there. So everything had to be absolutely flawless. It's an amazing, I mean, I'm so humbled you're sharing all this with us. <laughs> it's amazing. I could go it on really and on and on. <laughs> I'm about my mother. Now, she came from this same small town. Mm -hmm. She lived in holler number six. He lived in holler number five in the right. coal mine. And they married soon after he went to Tuskegee. And um, she never expected to travel all over the world. I took her to Denmark for the Hans Christian Andersen. 200th anniversary. I mean, she, we went to England several times and uh, Spain, France, I mean, just everywhere. And so what she got, she, now she's a black officer's wife. So they actually had courses to teach the officer's wife. I mean, at that time is really sexist, you know, how to throw a cocktail party, how to decorate the perfect, the perfect <laughs> cocktail perfect, party. Right. Exactly. <laughs> how to be the greatest cook, uh, how to make sure that your children stood in line the whole time, you know, were in line we the whole paid. time. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. so what happened? So she became the perfect officer's wife and that trickled down to us because she brought all of this stuff back from overseas. I'm talking teak furniture, crystal, silver. And my dad was like, why do we have to bring all this stuff? You know how expensive it is. But, Sounds um, like my mom. She still has it in the house. She lives yeah. about 16 miles from here, from here. She's 98. Oh, and bless her. She's thriving. She is thriving. In fact, Amazing. Like, hey, yeah. I'm going to see her. But um, she has developed these family traditions and you cannot stray from the traditions. It's just not possible. For example, every single Christmas, she would give us a coach, a leather coach bag. And then when we all had two or three coach bags, we said, please, mom, no more coach bags. <laughs> and then yeah. she would give us a place setting, a place setting of the Linux Christmas dishes every single year until she built for each one of us crisp these these plates are gold rimmed Linux it is just beautiful Christmas dishes and so mm -hmm. we can't use them until the day after Thanksgiving uh, because that's when Christmas in her you know in her way of thinking that's when Christmas starts yeah I actually wrote two books about her uh, called Willie Pearl it was a, a children's actually three. And 
um, she always wanted a doll. And so the day after Thanksgiving was the day that the sheet fell down at the company store and all mm -hmm. the little poor children would go down to the store and see all the presents that they never could afford. And so the book that I wrote was about her want for a, a doll. And we actually end up making dolls in her image to go with the book. But the point is, you it always has to be a live Christmas tree. She has ornaments from all over the world, glass ornaments, nothing tacky. You know, <laughs> she has to have clam chowder. So again, very rigid, very, very rigid standards. How and everything has to be has perfect. To be. Everything. Yeah. And, you know, for Easter, it's the same. Got to have lamb. Got to go to, you know, the, the sunrise service on the base. Um, cutlery, certain dishes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you had to learn how to put the cutlery. And the thing is, my husband, he's only been out of the country one time. And he wasn't, he's not used to this. So <laughs> he's like, I don't, I don't see what the fuss is about. Just said, throw the cutlery on the table. Just do what he's told to do. <laughs> There's going to be trouble. <laughs> and so once my son got married, I continued the tradition. So whether they come here or not, mm -hmm. I send them a place setting of the China. And so it, it's kind of, you know, carrying it forward. And, you know, at first, at first she was like, oh, we don't deserve this. I said, yes, you do. It's, it's carrying forth the tradition. So. Mm. Do you, would you say, is there a price? Do you think that you've paid um, with your perfectionism or looking back on a, you know, on a reflection with you about your father or mother? Um, would you would you say that it did it have any cost for you besides the, the, the gain? It, it's a lot of pressure. Um, mm. Right now, I'm one of her primary caregivers. And so you know, she is very precise. I need this. I need that. I need you to take me here. I need you to take, and it's overwhelming. Um, mm -hmm. trying to be the perfect daughter, even though I'm 68, she's 98. And so I do everything to make things perfect for her. She likes a certain cake. So I make the certain cake and if it doesn't turn out well, she goes, Oh, this is too dry. You should have, you know, not kept it in the oven as long as you did. How does that, how does that feel when that happens? How does that feel for you? I, I feel, well, I'm the, I'm the family baker. So when my, her favorite cake doesn't turn out, she, she shames me. And I, I just, I, I'm devastated. She had her birthday and I was trying to make this cake for her and it didn't turn out well. So I ended up mix, missing the party because I was trying to hastily make her another cake. Um, and so, you know, I made her some chocolate chip cookies, which were her favorite. She said, these are a little too hard, you know? And so this, it, and what it does, it, it makes me guilty. Uh, often I'm depressed. Um, it makes me feel something less than I am. And, yeah. and, and it should be. Once again, I gave it my best. But if it's not the best for the person that you're trying to please, then um, it, it can be devastating. It can be devastating. And it takes, I'm, a, I'm bipolar. And so especially with me, uh, it affects my mood if I don't get it perfect. Yeah. Especially if, if you, yeah. if, especially if you're, you know, if it's affecting your self-worth in terms of, oh, well, I did make the perfect cake for my mom. She doesn't like it. So I'm not good enough. 
That's true. Yeah, and you, you, so you uh, doom yourself mm-hmm. as identify yourself as not good enough. So it's not that really? moment of time right here, right now. This cake, it's the cake. It's not I know. that the fact that it's it's the cake that's not good enough, <laughs> and not you as person. It's interesting, it's like isn't because I'm rushing. I am rushing. Hmm. Uh, and the pressure that it has to be done. Yeah. And that's what happens. Um, mm-hmm. And the other thing, uh, being 98, she has no filter. So the least little thing that she says negative affects me greatly. And, you know, my therapist says, limit your time uh, once a week because she has such a negative effect on you. It is just it could stop you cold. Um, and <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's what I try to do. And we had a deal that every Tuesday I would go there, take her to the movies, take her on the errands and spend the night. Well, now I'm pushing on this, I'm pushing on this deadline and she doesn't understand. I don't have the time to take her to Sam's club. I don't have the time to take her for her groceries. Uh, she, she's sturdy and emotionally she's more sturdy. Uh, but and I think it's because I'm an author I feel things deeply and that is why I can write so well because I identify with my characters and um, so there's a lot of internal processing that I have to do so when she fat shames me or she'll say something like she'll say something like your legs used to be so pretty (laughs) like your what I'm 68. I am not a cheerleader anymore. I'm not a majorette. And the thing is, she started us. It, she started me ballet lessons when I was three years old. I had my first concert when I was three, and I took ballet lessons in Germany. Toes, they killed my feet. I still have my little toe shoes, and I went all the way through college being a dancer and then once again i went to the university of maryland and every black person who who auditioned got cut in the first round Mm. and i had had five years of classical training Mm. and you know they were like oh you didn't do your plie right step out of the line so i mean i knew what was going on so that's when i took up uh african dancing and i excelled and in high school once again the best dancer i got the prize for that I, I helped to, yeah. to help my, uh, the dance teacher actually staged the final finale, dancer of the year, blah, 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 blah. Once again, you have to be though, didn't I you? Because B, B is not to, good enough. It has to be A. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's, it, it's my legacy. I, and, uh, but the thing is I have learned now to manage to manage my disappointment again by little things uh, and manage the stress. I love birds. I watch my birds every morning. I make special meals just for me. I schedule massages regularly. Uh, And I think, especially for women, we are, um, we we are not as willing to take care of our own self needs, especially Mm -hmm. when you're married with children or you're in the middle with, you know, you're in that age where you're taking care of your elders. A lot of that just gets uh, passed by the wayside, but I have built in time 
Every night I meditate before I go to bed. I attend uh, church online just to have kind of a spiritual cleansing. I read. I uh, I have different humorous uh, groups on Facebook that make me laugh out loud, which I think is important. It, it reduces yeah. the stress. Yeah. And the kind of I only watch the news maybe once a day because, like, you know, yes. I, um, <laughs> Why, yeah. Once often there is much you can do. Overwhelming. It's yeah. overwhelming. Yeah. And I live in social media and I started doing that too. Because I mean, these people drive, they drive you crazy. And especially when it comes to writers, these writers groups, sometimes I feel like they're sucking the marrow right out of my bones because they know I'm a published author. And I had to let go of some of those groups because they're like, oh, can you help me? Yeah. And you know, can you help me? And I said, I can't review your manuscript because later on down the line, you could, you could accuse me of plagiarism. That's what my agent told me. So no, I can't help you work. You know, well, can I, mm. can I partner with you? Can you tell me how to, you know, get public? And I said, no, I can't do that. I've got to focus mm. on my own work. You mm. know, take a class, join a group, go online, read a book. Yeah. But you're you're really right about you know how women are um, kind of programmed to be caregivers that yeah. that we take care of everybody else around us and mm-hmm. and and for some reason quite many women also feel that looking after yourself or to love yourself or to look to take care of yourself is the same as being selfish to have that time for yourself to do the things that you want to do is kind of like letting others down because you are you're looking after you and yet in order to be able to look after others we need to be well ourselves Mm -hmm. first well within ourselves so that we have we have the overflow and the energy to look after others so it sounds amazing that you are you know that you have taken the steps to look after you um in order to um create that well-being space for yourself does that so does that help then um when you are handling your mom the time you're spending with her and when she is you know when she's judging you about you know, with no filter about the cake so rather than appreciating the fact that you have uh-huh. baked her her favorite cake for her birthday um because because you know where where your focus goes your energy flows you will always find a fault if you're looking for one or two mm-hmm. or three mm-hmm. well That's it right. depends on what you're looking for so if if anyone bakes a cake for me, if I want to find a fault in it, if there, you know, if that's what I'm focusing on, that's where my energy goes, then I will definitely find something. Or in people, or in places, or on the best holidays that you might be going, if you're looking for a fault, something that's not okay, it's easy to find. You'll always find something. True. Right? So how is this affecting your self-worth? You know, is is that about you? Is that about your mom? What's going on here when you say that you feel devastated? I I used to be absolutely crushed, but I find out that talk therapy is good. Uh, When I, I mean, because sometimes I just come home and sob. And that's the other thing. 
we were not allowed to cry. Hmm. It's it's a, a military dependent is called hmm. a brat. Uh, it doesn't mean you're bratty. It's a person who it started out in the Civil War. The women and children after the war would go through the the, the battlefields and pick up anything of worth, silver teeth, boots, ammunition. And so a brat was someone who followed. And um, so that's where it comes from. It's a sense of duty, it's a sense of honor, and that brats do the most despicable things because our whole purpose is to support the people that are in the military. And one of the things ingrained in us is that we were not allowed to cry. It was since it was seen to be weakness. And it would also, uh, if you're weak, it would betray weakness in your, your father or whoever was in the military. Uh, and of course, it's inevitable that we're going to cry, but you don't do it in public and you don't do it around uh, your family. And um for example, the only time I saw my father cry, we left Germany. We were on our way to um, to Italy. We were we were in Italy, and uh, he got news that my mother's mother had died, and she couldn't get back to the funeral in time because the only time that only way she could get there would be by military transport, and we were too far away. So she couldn't go. And when he came in to tell her we were all there, that is the only time I've ever seen my father cry in front of us. Mm. Um, and anytime now, when I, when I get upset in front of my mother, she says, you know, don't cry, don't cry. So I have to go someplace and cry. Once again, it's that whole sense of perfection. Um, and that so emotions I mean, are not really allowed. <laughs> No, they're not. You're supposed yeah. to be popular, upbeat, uh, never too angry. Uh, you're supposed to be kept even. And um, yeah, so there's mm -hmm. the pressure. But I have learned, again, through talk therapy. When I mean talk therapy, it's not just talking to my therapist. It means I've learned to talk it out with somebody. It might be my spouse. It might be calling a friend on the phone. It's been, to, you know, particularly difficult with COVID because you really don't get the FaceTime. But I do talk to my spouse. We're separated, but we're still the best of friends. And when I really, really need to talk, my youngest son, Evan, he is the he is the model of positivity. So he checks in every now and then just to say, how are you doing, mom? And he can tell it in my voice if something's not right. Mm -hmm. And he'll, he'll just remind me to, you know, keep it going and, and not to, not to worry about what something was done. Let me give you an example that happened to me just last week. I, I belong to a Facebook group called Afrofuturism, which is a trend that's going on not just uh, among black artists, but also um, artists of color. And if you think of the movie Wakanda Forever, that's an example of Afrofuturism where uh, people of color are propelled forward into the realms of space or superheroes and that kind of thing. And so that's Afrofuturism. My son, Brian, is actually doing films about Afrofuturism. So I got on this post and we were talking about, there was a comic strip now that's being based on Wakanda with black women. And all these you know, black artists were commenting in positive ways. 
And all of a sudden there's this post that says there are too many, there are too many black women. And so we, a lot of us- Too many black like, women in what? In the group? Or? No, he just said there are too, it was on Afrofuturism. <laughs> so he said, okay. the person just said there are too many black women. And mm -hmm. so a lot of us started questioning, what do you mean? I was not vulgar. I just said, you need, you know, you need to clarify yourself. You need to check yourself. Why are you even into this discussion? And um, so the next day I opened up, I had a message from this racist person. Um, and it was a direct message to me, not the group. He called me an effing nigger on Facebook. So of course I got really upset. That is not me at all. So I went back to Facebook. Mm. I blocked him. I, I reported him mm. and I put a, uh, a post on Facebook that I had been a victim of hate speech. Now that, that really hurt. Mm. Um, and it, you know, once again, people on Facebook defended me. That is not you. You're a good person. This is what you've done for me. So that was affirming. But I got to tell you, I didn't tell my mother, but I haven't been called a nigger since 1965 <laughs> to my face. So, so, so what does that say about this guy? Well, he must have been a proud boy. He must have been, uh, he was just a, a racist. I went back to the administrator. A racist of, idiot, I would he, probably yeah, think. And he, it's unacceptable. He, <laughs> completely yeah, unacceptable. Yeah. The, the administrator took the post off. She, she closed the discussion and took his post off, which was great. But I mean, that was just last week. This was on the heels of my finding that I had gotten the award. So I was like, whoa, don't let this devalue anyway you know but mm -hmm. i don't use f words like i don't use f words I mean, at think, all think so. about it this way michelle think about it this way if you um and i do ask this question to many of my clients um who who are questioning their values sometimes that if you have babies you've got i don't know three babies in front of you newborn um, one mm -hmm. of them is Chinese, or one of them is, I don't know, uh, Vietnamese, one of them is black, one of them is white, uh, one of them is, I don't know, Italian, one of them is Iraqi, and so on. Yeah, you look at those babies, they are maybe a week old or just newborn. Would mm -hmm. you be able to say, would you say this one is more worthy than that one, or this one is 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 more valuable than that one? whether you know their background or not, whose children they are or not, would you put any value on those babies? Would you be well, able I to? Say that I would value them all. We have a lot of multicultural marriages. Exactly. And, a lot of multicultural and, and all of my clients, they're also like, no, they're the same. They're all just as valuable, just as yeah. beautiful baby. We have a lot of blended family. My uh, niece, her, uh, the the uh, father of her child is Puerto Rican. She's a very fair uh, African-American. My father's father was white. Mm -hmm. My uh, my husband married, my um, sister married a white man. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of uh, Native American blood. In fact, there's a special set called Melungeon, which is a completely different part of, it's like a, a tri-racial background. And in the military, we, it was 
pressed upon us because we're traveling so many places that racism would not be tolerated uh, because you you never you had to kind of assimilate into the culture in when you were in Germany you became German you ate their foods you learned their traditions yeah. uh, language French <laughs> when yeah. I was believe it or not I had to learn French in Biloxi Mississippi which was it was part of the curriculum and then we moved to Maine where the French really uh, came because we had Quebecois not the same. And then I was in, uh, I was in Quebec, which came in mm. and then I had to learn uh, Spanish and we went to Monterey and now here where I live, Spanish is the predominant language. So we've had a little bit of everything. And so as military, we had to learn to respect different cultures. And there's a fallacy. It's funny, there's this, I was telling you about the Bratz Our Journey Home film it's where they interviewed over a hundred brats and they were asking questions just like that. Did you ever experience racism? Did you notice color? And a lot of people said, oh no, we didn't notice color. I said, of course you notice color. It's just how you work with, you know, how you react to it, how you, uh, you know, what are your internal thoughts? What are your actions? And that kind of thing. It's inevitable, hmm. but um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and and so uh, talking with your um, son, did that help? Um, uh, and what did you? And even if you didn't talk with him, what what do you say to yourself that helps you um, restore your self worth and and let go, let go of the outside effects mm -hmm. that that might upset you. I have to say that my sons are my greatest inspiration. Unlike my dad, I mean, I do hold them to high standards, but I think I'm a little more lenient. And what I tried to do was develop them along the things that they wanted to do. When I saw a particular aptitude, I encouraged them. I gave them the tools. I gave Evan his first saxophone. When my son wanted to be a filmmaker, I gave him a little, at that time, a little camcorder and he took it everywhere um, to the point where he would be walking in traffic. And I say, you know, if you don't put that camera down, you're going to get smashed like, uh, smashed yeah. like but, but I can see from very early, he was in like fifth grade and I saw he had a very keen lens. Once again, when there was uh, 9-11, uh, he was he was young and he made his response to 9-11 when we were sitting around watching the television he went upstairs took the the newspaper and made a documentary about 9-11 and believe it or not it won him the, the distinguished scholar award for Maryland and they were going to give him a free ride to any college in the state of Maryland any free school again it's a keen, you know, he was in the moment, uh, he took advantage and he, he called it Helter Skelter. And that is the film. He decided, I don't want a full ride in Maryland. They don't have the mm -hmm. kind of program that I want. And we're like, please, please. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I, so found like, program. yeah so, I found a program <laughs> and they only take 40 students uh -huh. in, in 
And we found out about it like the very last week of registration. So dad let me borrow the Porsche and we sped up there hundred miles an hour and, and took his, uh, he had to have a sample. So he, uh, he went up there with Helter Skelter, Helter Skelter and the Dean of the film school said, your work is better than most of our graduates. Mm-hmm. So he got in in the very last day. So yes, he's a mod- He's an example of excellence, but at the same time, I wasn't trying to make him the first black astronaut. This was right in his wheelhouse. And both of them will say, they owe me a, gra- a debt of gratitude because of the way that I nurtured them uh, and understood what was in their heart of hearts. And mm. so when I'm in a bad place, all I have to do is think of, I did a pretty good job with my sons. <laughs> so that, yeah. you know, that's my happy place. If, if nothing else can be said, it's more than win- winning a Pulitzer Prize or, you know, a- anything. And I can look back and say, among all the things I've done, I've raised these two sons. No, they're not perfect. And we have our fights. Uh, one time my son was so mad at me, he ran away to Poland. <laughs> for a year. How far can I get? I know, we'll take this. <laughs> and he ran off to Poland and joined the Bogo band. And we're like, what? <laughs> and, and, you know, to be honest, sorry to break the news, but nobody is. It just doesn't exist trying to you know trying to have the perfect children or being the perfect mom or being the perfect um spouse or being the perfect uh, daughter perfect friend perfect colleague it just or perfect writer it just doesn't exist the perfect doesn't exist but we can of course um fulfill the best that we can um but also take what doesn't work with a you know, pinch of salt and yeah. um, see if you can do it better Anymore. next time. Yeah. Uh, so progress rather mm-hmm. than perfection. Um, is there anything that you feel that we haven't covered that you would like to add? Just one small thing. And this is another point of humor. First of all, I got my keen wit from my father. Uh, his his wit was more sarcastic, but it was always sharp and to the point. And so my blog is called Laughter is Medicine because I think one of the greatest releases we can have is being willing to laugh, either willing being willing to laugh at ourselves or something funny going around us. So I have this niece, uh, her name is Shannon, and it seems like every single day I regale her with something stupid that I have done, you know, mm-hmm. put on pair of pants backwards or you know, falling down the stairs and she loves it and she gives me a comment we need to wrap you in bubble wrap we, you can't afford to go out of the house you need adult supervision and we kind of go back and forth with that so the ability to laugh at yourself or the things around you yeah. the other thing is my sons and I can't even remember where this tradition started but we have this um whenever I do something nice, like send them a little money or do a favor for them, they are, they must say, you are like a goddess to me. <laughs> so, Is that a tradition? Deity. I must get my daughter to say that to me and my husband. So they say, and when they forget, I say, I am goddess. Oh yes, you are like a goddess to me. <laughs> Oh no, 
know if I started it, if they started it, but it, it's, you know, being a goddess, that's, that's a pretty important thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a family tradition. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. And yes, I agree. Absolutely. Laughter and positivity uh, just that's adds. It's something that keeps growing doesn't it you have that positive positive energy sometimes yeah when you're full of stress just the fact that you can take a breath and breathe deeply will lower your blood pressure and help you get perspective Yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely it's been amazing it's been absolutely amazing to have you here uh, as my guest. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing You're your welcome. story. Um, I'm really humbled. It was amazing to hear about your dad, about your mom, about your childhood and, and the story <laughs> of, yeah, of your life and your writing. Uh, so I'm sure the audience loved it as well. So thank you so much. You too. Thank you for joining us in I'm a Perfectionist, Get Me Out of Here podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave stars and a review. Help me spread the word by sharing this with your friends and family. My practical manual, Transformation Through the Power of Quotes, will help you or someone you know get through tough times and feel happier. It is now available on Amazon paperback and Kindle. You can also check out our website, mindandmood.co.uk. Thank you again. And remember, imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. Bye for now.